Comadres y Comics is a podcast hosted by three Latina women. We highlight the Latinx presence in the comic book industry as creators, characters, and fans. Join us as we talk chisme, comics, fandom, and beer. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Comadres y Comics. This is episode 83 and we are your hosts. I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Hello, girls. Welcome back. How's everybody? Laugh track, maybe clapping. <laughs> Guys, it's still hot out there. I don't know. I don't know about this. Oh, but it is the end of September, and I'm so ready for all things fall and Halloween. And I get so frustrated because I have like Halloween sweatshirts. I have a Charlie Brown Great Pumpkin sweatshirt that every year I'm ready to wear on October 1st. I'm freaking ready to wear it in <laughs> August 31st, but in October, at least the month of Halloween. And there's some times where I'm sweating my ass off, forcing myself to wear it on Halloween just because <laughs> the weather is just so hot. And so I this year, I'm hoping because, I mean, after all, it is 2020. I'm hoping that uh, some kind of like weird storm blizzards c come through and I can wear all of my cute Halloween slash fall clothes actually in fall. <laughs> no, no kidding. I have like, mm -hmm. I don't know, like four pairs of boots that I only get to wear a small increment in time because we're in California and it's yep. not always, you know, cold, cold weather. Um, but yes, we had an earthquake. How did you guys, did you guys feel it? I slept through it. That's awesome. No, I really felt it. And my nephew got scared. So he started texting me. And so I ended up, uh, packing a backpack and a, another kind of like a, um, another bag, uh, with toilet paper, water, and just a change of clothes. And I said, if anything happens, I'm going to always come for you. I, even if I have to walk over there. So he, and then I showed him Aww. my bags and he's like, thank you so much. You're literally the best aunt ever. And I go, dude, you're like my number one priority. Frank and yes. I are going to have to go over there. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say Taffy? Yeah. <laughs> I even had Taffy's. I even had her leash and her little strap ready to go. That's hilarious. <laughs> I actually, um, when I moved here to uh, Los Angeles um, from, Northern California. I worked in downtown Los Angeles. My main office was in downtown LA. And one of the things that they told us when we, I say us because it was my best friend and I that we moved here to uh, Los Angeles together and we actually got jobs at the same organization. They told us that we needed to have an earthquake preparedness preparedness kit to have under our desks and one of the things and I'll never forget this and I think about it all the time when I'm in downtown is to um, have a pair of tennis shoes in the bag because if the huge if the big one hit the amount of broken glass that was going to be in the streets of downtown was going to be at least three or four, four feet thick they were saying and mm -hmm. so um, I was like just like thinking of that and picturing that and i i'll never forget like how it was like kind of a culture shock type thing i mean i've lived in california my entire life but never in a big city like that and so to have to think of that kind of thing with earthquakes like i'm not afraid of earthquakes like people from other parts of the country are like how can you live there i'm like dude like 
by the time I know it's happening, it's over. Um, <laughs> but like, I think the same about people who live in hurricane and tornado. Like you guys know that that's coming every single year, same time of year, but yet you still choose to live there. So at least with mm-hmm. me, I'll, it'll go. Uh, if it's my time, it'll go quick. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy, but you're mm-hmm. right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think like, okay, the tornado, like kind of like just destroys a whole building or whatever, or your, you know, your farm or whatever, (laughs) your barn, and then you have to rebuild it. (laughs) My God, how, how frustrating, I think. (laughs) That's all I can think about when I see those, those movies. Like the fact that, look, at least the earthquake Let's me stay in. Let lets me stay in place. A tornado can pick you up and fucking throw you somewhere. Like another, the sky is literally angry at you. Like no, thank you. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. Anyway, we survived it, guys. We're we're back. We're here. It was only Recording. a four point seven. It's I know, change. It's very tiny. Very tiny. I mean, when I woke up to see all of the posts about it on Facebook, um, I was like, "Oh my gosh, that was hardly even." No wonder I didn't wake up. Like it was, but you know, some people actually said that it it wasn't very rolling. It was very jolting. That it woke them up. But I guess I was super tired. <laughs> no, yeah, I I was like in that half asleep, half awake state, so it it was actually very jolting. Yeah, uh, cause it like it like knocked me out of that daze, and I was just like, damn, I gotta hold on to some shit. <laughs> um, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't particularly strong. Yeah, yeah. No, my husband didn't wake up, but I I was awake watching movies, so yeah, I totally felt it. Anyway, guys, guess what? We have La Hora de la Cervecita. Kristen, what are we drinking today? Yes. So today I'm super excited to try Dragon's Milk White, which is a bourbon barrel aged white stout. Now, stouts generally are not white um, in color. They're generally a darker amber colored beer and so when I see white stout I'm assuming that that means that it's going to be a like more ale uh, type um, colored pale ale colored beer Um, I feel like I've drank a white stout before um, and was very pleasantly surprised so this one is a six point ABV and it is proudly brewed in Holland Michigan by the new Holland Brew Company and um, on the can, it uh, tells us that it is smooth, creamy, and legendary. for it, <laughs> dairy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, so that is what we're um, drinking today, and I am definitely looking forward to it. Ooh, I like it. I like that sound. It smells very good. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, wow. That's an interesting taste. Ooh, and it is white. It's not dark. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you all know I am not a stout drinker. I am not a strout, strout, <laughs> stout appreciator. I don't like coffee. I don't drink coffee. So the, co- the coffee taste in my beer is not the business to me. Um, but this is none of those things i can taste a a very light hint of stout flavor to it but it's not very overwhelmingly coffee ish 
um, flavor, and it actually is really, really good. I really like it a lot. That's so strange. When I said it was smooth and creamy, it is smooth. Yeah, it really is. It, it, it's... All right, second, second drink, I taste coffee, but it's still good. <laughs> yeah. You know when initially I, the first sip I took, it just, it uh, screamed out dairy to me. But well, the second, creamy. the second sip um, wasn't as creamy, which was good because um, I really wasn't expecting that milky taste. So I was taken really by surprise, and I was a little shocked. It's and literally called dragon's milk. So. <laughs> no, I know, but I mean, like straight from the straight from straight from the tit of the dragon, <laughs> right? Uh, but I mean, there's other. Um, there's other beers that they're like unicorn farts. I mean, I'm not expecting to drink a fart, <laughs> but no, um, I think for me, initially the very first sip was unpleasant, but now taking the third sip, it actually is good. So the first sip to me was very non-stouty and I liked it. Second sip, I tasted the coffee. Third sip and ongoing, um, I'm back to the not so coffee y taste, but I actually really like this. I would buy this again and I would uh I would definitely drink it again. Um it's pretty good. I like it. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it's, white stouts are my thing if, if I'm gonna drink a stout. It's it's very light and I'm honestly very like I'm pretty taken with it, especially like on it's kinda hot right now. So it it goes down really well. Yeah. That you're absolutely right on that point. Yeah, I agree with you on that point. It's it's light, very light uh, for definitely for stout and uh, yeah. If you're not a stout fan, a white stout is the way to go. I'm pleasantly surprised in that sense that I didn't. Uh, honestly, I kind of didn't know what to expect, but initially the first sip, like I said, was unpleasant. Now it's gotten a little bit better. Uh, definitely the 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 coffee's coming out a little bit more and. The smell is not very strong, but it's a good no. smell. So it's yeah. kind of it's, 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 it smelled mm-hmm. to me like a a pale ale or like a wheat or a lager or something. It it was not a very like stout. Usually you can smell a very. Mm-hmm. I, I know thick isn't a smell, but that's kind of what I want to <laughs> say. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I, I mean stout smell. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. aged in bourbon barrels. No, robust. Yeah, and yes. it's like I said, it's aged in bourbon barrels. Uh, but I don't really. Um, it's not that, like you said, thick. That thick uh, taste that comes with stouts. So uh, in that sense, it's it's different and um, not at all unpleasant. I do Are taste we- the bourbon barrel aged though, but I have mm-hmm. to look for it. It's not overwhelming like some other bourbon aged stuff. Totally agree. I, kind so, of, I like the aftertaste, that kind of like tingly feeling it leaves. That's pretty good. Yeah, and it's and I actually it's not that mu- that much carbon in it, which is interesting. Carbonation. Carbonation wise, yeah. Um, I 
No, we haven't used our rating scale in a while, so I'm gonna re, uh, I'm going to remind everybody um, <laughs> the rating scale in case they have forgotten, because we have not done uh, Hora de la Cervecita in a while, because we haven't been together. But mm -hmm. Sarah was so gracious to have provided us all with a can of Dragon's Milk White, and so to remind all of our listeners, our rating scale begins um, on a one to five um, rating scale with one being flaccid, two being initial, three being partial, four being full, five is a rigid, and then off the scale is a super saiyan. So uh, Sarah, since you're the one who found this beer and recommended it, what is your rating? Um, I'm going to go with partial. I'm not wowed by this beer, but I am su surprised. And like I said, initially, the first sip was not the, the business for me, but, but it's gotten a little bit better. So I'm going to go partial. Okay. So this is Kristen, and I actually am also going to go partial. Um, my first sip was really, really good, and I will drink this again. If I see it, I would, I would choose it. But same as Sarah, I wasn't wowed by it. And again, I'm not a stout drinker. I think it means something to say, I'm not a stout drinker, but if I had to drink stout, I would pick this. Um, but that, but again, there was no wow factor for me. Um, and um, it, it was no, what, what was that uh, monkey one that we used to uh, get excited oh, all sticky over. monkey sticky monkey yeah it's, it's yeah. no sticky monkey and it's no allagash curio um so yes a partial for me as well how about you jen so i was kind of stuck between giving it a rigid or a partial but as you guys were talking i was kind of like going over it in my head and i think i'm gonna go with a partial because um if i i like stouts i have found that i yes. actually really do like stouts um and this doesn't taste so much as a stout it's like it's like a watered down stout basically but yeah. it still tastes good <laughs> uh at least uh i think but if i wanted a stout i would get a stout i wouldn't go for this yeah. however if i had to be forced like to drink to choose this between like all the other like pale ales or like white or wheat ales or stuff like that like if this is what i feel like this is what like Corona and Tecate and all those other ones should taste like. So I'm actually, <laughs> and it's, so it's like it's it's good. Like if I wanted like something light and refreshing, this would be my go-to instead of something like Corona or Bud Light or any of those other ones. But if I wanted a stout, I, like how, I would get a stout. I Ooh. like how I say if I'm forced to drink stout, I would drink this. And you're like, if I if I'm forced to <laughs> to drink not stouts, I or I would I would choose this. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna go with a partial. Okay, so that's three out of five all around. So I um I. Sarah, in case I do ever want to buy it again, um, where did you get this from? Um, I got this one at Torrance Beer Cellar. Okay. So we're generally Torrance Beer Cellar and what's the other one? 310? 310, Are the yes. two that we generally get our stuff from. So um, I love going to, I've only been to 310 once, but I love going to Torrance Beer Cellar. They always have cool new stuff to try. Yeah, definitely. And the way they put, uh, put everything out, um, and the way they put everything out on the floor, it's really easy to just walk or, or, or uh, on all, on, yes. 
and then and see everything you might want to buy or yeah then change your mind and instead of buying one you buy like six cans and yep i go in there <laughs> for just a couple of things and i always leave there spending a lot of money and they actually i really miss their friday tastings they used to have free tastings a different brewery come in every friday and give free tastings and they would have like little swag thing giveaways and stuff like that and it was completely free and then you um, were able to taste before you bought and so that was always a fun thing to do and um, a way to taste a beer that you might not necessarily be um, willing to spend 10 bucks on before you bought it so uh, I mean before you uh, without tasting it so um, hopefully they will bring that back once they are able to open back up again but yeah I really miss that because Eddie and I used to do that on Fridays uh, a lot yeah mm -hmm. yeah and there's a big sign that says tastings are canceled until further notice I know just as a reminder like yeah. a little a little <laughs> i know <laughs> yeah you guys just reminded me of something that i saw on the news actually so you know how orange county is mm -hmm. uh and how they're like fuck the rules and everything yeah well <laughs> a lot of they're opening up a lot of breweries uh-huh who are having tastings right now so if you oh. want to you know risk your life you can go to orange county and go <laughs> oh, to yeah. a brewery yeah <laughs> Jeez. just like uh kristen was saying in the last episode if this is the way i'm gonna go eating fruit <laughs> but man that's you know that's some scary stuff you gotta really think about that you know i, I haven't mm -hmm. gone anywhere and it's like i keep seeing stories come up memories in my facebook and i'm like oh shit i went I horseback know. riding oh shit i went to the pool you know, like all these things we used to do. Oh my and God. And it's funny because even when I watch TV, I'm watching TV and I'm watching TV through COVID eyes and there's people like at parties or at the bar or whatever. I'm like, where's your mask? What are you doing? You're standing too close. <laughs> totally. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. I mean, you know, like I just saw, I saw cuties on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. Even though there was a lot of backlash or whatever, but I blame yes. Netflix anyway. Yes. And they're all closed and stuff. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Where, where's the party? <laughs> like there's a festival. Like, oh my God. Like, yeah. In the back of my head that I'm thinking that as well, when I'm watching all these shows, yeah. when they, you know, they kiss to say hello and I'm like, what the uh -huh. fuck? Uh -huh. yeah, it's, it's scary. All right, guys. Chisme de la semana. And uh, chisme de la semana this week guys i don't know if you guys know this but the dc universe is going to hbo max so all those shows like uh all those cartoons and all those shows are going to hbo max and uh what are they gonna do with uh the dc universe uh kristen do you remember well um it looks like they are going to take all of their um well, the streaming movies and cartoons are going to go to HBO Max, but then they are going to then turn it into a comic book uh, digital service. So apparently, I didn't know this, that I thought it was only streaming stuff, but apparently they already had digital comics on DC Universe, and now it's going to solely be that. And um, it looks like they're also going to produce their own original comic book content featuring beloved characters. Now, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry that that kind of makes me mad um, as a retailer. You really said fuck small uh, comic book stores. 
Yes. As a comic book retailer, that really upsets me. You're going to take content that is exclusive to comic books and then exclusively release them on your digital platform after you have spent the last couple of months trying to tell me as a retailer that I was your priority and that you wanted to partner with me and that you really cared about me and that you really wanted my business to survive and to thrive. And you are going to now provide exclusive content, not only on your digital uh, streaming platform, um, but as Jen mentioned earlier, they also have an exclusive deal now with Barnes and Noble that they are going to be releasing exclusive hardcovers through Barnes and Noble. So it really, really frustrates me um, as a retailer. Now, as a reader and a fan of DC, which I am not, I'm sorry, again, not sorry. Um, But I can understand people getting excited about that. People really like, oh, that's cool. That's amazing. And that's blah, blah, blah. But I also just want to put out there to listeners to to really think about how this is affecting your local comic book store and um, to really take that into consideration when you are um, when you're shopping with them and uh, when you are if you don't already, when you're setting up a pull list, it's really helpful for you to do that and to just really um, continue to give your local comic book shop um, the the benefit of the doubt when they can't provide you something or it's kind of a hard, um, it's taking a long time or whatever, to just remember that right now, especially, there's a lot of hoops that we have to jump through and a lot of barriers that we have to get past um, to to sometimes get those things for you, but to just really give us the benefit of the doubt that we're trying and that when these kinds of things happen, that it's just one more barrier that we have to kind of um, to fight up against. So it's just really frustrating for me. And I can understand, honestly, uh, I can understand from a business standpoint, the people at the top want to make money. That is hundred percent their entire goal. And they are just looking at the bottom line. So I can understand that. I mean, the reality is, unfortunately, comics don't make money when it comes to an entertainment industry who releases animated series and animated movies and, you know, big blockbusters and, you know, all those kinds of things. Little lonely print comics probably barely even make it onto the radar. So I can understand that. Um, But I also feel frustrated that um, if it wasn't for print comics, none of those things would even exist. None of those things would exist. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I mean, and didn't they just... Uh, we didn't, didn't we just celebrate the relaunching of Vertigo with uh, four comic books like a year ago? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, uh, like they're they just they changing. just shot Vertigo comics dead, uh, dead out. They shot it dead out in the field, basically. Yep. That's yep. It's, it's. I don't know what they're thinking. Um, like you said, you understand that they're trying to make money or whatever, but it's also a fact that they they would not exist if it wasn't for comic books. Yeah, that was basically how they got started. Uh, that's, like I said, it's 
Unfor- I mean, for me, I think it's cool because, like, my brother just got HBO Max. So I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm able to watch all those things. <laughs> you have access to all of those. Yes, exactly. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I do understand that. I mean, and there was a lot of great comic book titles out there that were, you know, coming out, uh, what is it, monthly, right? And uh, now now what's going on? Now what's going to happen with that? They're just going to wait to the trade paperback to sell it at Barnes and Noble, or they're just going to do it digitally, right? Um, well, there were some titles that they completely just said they were stopping. Um, I know that, uh, gosh, off the top of my head now, I can't remember what they were, but things Young that Justice. I, I think, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Also, uh, gosh. Now I can't remember. Suicide Squad, I think, might have been one. Suicide but anyway, Squad, there was a handful. Legion of Superheroes. There was 24 titles, I believe. Oh, geez, there were that many? I didn't even mm-hmm. remember that much. But, um, And uh, my at the time, my assumption was that those were going to go, you know, digital in some way, shape, or form. Um, and uh, it's just... Uh, it's just right now kind of uh, up in the air because we're being told one thing as a comic retailer and then something completely different happens and we're just expected to kind of just roll with the punches and literally it feels like we're getting punched. So, um, so I, it's, it's really frustrating uh, all around because, you know, as a retailer, you want to be able to provide a service to your customer and DC is creating a lot of barriers to do that. And every week, um, even just a small thing as not getting the books until Tuesday afternoon, when we've already finished the pools for everything else, having to come in early Wednesday to get all that done and just be rushing around trying to do everything before the store opens is a huge um kind of like barrier to you know trying to you you have to put in extra time to do that when you've already done it for other books and now they're asking you to do it again and it's just it's very frustrating and I understand that transition uh takes time but at the same time I think that this transition and this um change uh could have been approached in a a way more um helpful manner that helped to facilitate the success of the retailers and and honestly um everything that has happened up until now with dc and and this this announcement with the exclusive content and everything is just uh, feels really really um like uh like they don't care about uh the retailing side so um Again, if you are a customer at a local comic book shop, just keep all of this in mind that they're going through a lot when it comes to trying to get you their DC books. And um, and they are going to now be up against big, you know, companies like Barnes & Noble. Uh, DC did this a while back with uh, Walmart. So, you know, um, when you can find that book super easy and maybe even a few dollars cheaper on Amazon or online, just keep in mind that um, 
that extra couple of dollars actually goes a long way when um, you are supporting your local local comic book shop that really tries to go out of their way and above and beyond to um, provide a service uh, for you and um, you know providing books to you and providing comic book knowledge to you and also a place for you to come and hang out on Wednesday and talk all the geekiness that you want uh, about comic books um, and so just remember that local comic book shops are suffering especially right now um, and so this kind of uh, thing is definitely a hit and now it's time for our book review guys what are we reviewing today so today we are reviewing a book called the big hoax and the reason why um, uh, this book stood out to me to review is that not only the writer, but also the illustrator are Argentinian. And so I thought that was super cool to, um, to highlight creators from Argentina. I was to say Argentin. <laughs> Argentina. <laughs> um, and also a, uh, kind of talk about and highlight um, and review a genre that I don't think we've actually done up until now, if I'm mis not mistaken. Um, but this book is actually a, um, a crime noir book. Um, so what's what's like a a, t a movie like a what, Casablanca or like something mm -hmm. like that noir uh, movie but um honestly I I'm assuming noir is black and white so I I don't have a lot of experience with it because you all know I don't watch black and white <laughs> a lot of noir what, what, what it is what's that Jen yes I said, uh, classic noir is in black and white. It was actually, I think, first began in L.A. due to novels. Uh, and uh, it's uh, L.A. noir is a specific genre that uh, kind of established the roots of noir and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Um, mm -hmm. But oh, that's uh, this book, yeah, this book certainly, uh, it is very noir it is old school <laughs> noir um so description of the book um basically and something also that i found interesting we just got this hardcover in probably about a month ago but this book was originally written in spanish in 1998 and then originally published in, and translated into english in 2001 but this hardcover version was taken on um by uh what is the it's hard cases or something like that the this imprint of a of a um, comic book um, uh, company, which I have to look it up, but originally it was um, published by Dark Horse. So um, the description of the book says, uh, Donaldo Reynoso is a down-on-his-luck ex-cop. Kicked to the curb for dar daring to do his job in the corrupt banana republic of La Colonia. Now, no good to himself or anyone else, he agrees to help a captivating woman known far and wide uh, as a living myth of perfect virtue and reported healing powers. A facade that conceals a sordid web of deceit and depravity as ugly as the illusion is beautiful. 
So, uh, yes, so there's definitely some tropes that noir um, hit. Um, and I think this one definitely checks off the list. Um, there <laughs> is that that private eye or down on his luck uh, main protagonist. There's generally a femme fatale that uh, is involved. Um, he, and the, the protagonist generally is haunted by their past in some way, shape or form. Um, and mm -hmm. There's some other things going on, too, that I think are pretty tropey um, as far as noir goes. But, um, yes, this book definitely hits a lot of those things. So, um, yeah. And in 1989, uh, The Big Hoax actually won the prize for scenario at the Angelo May International Comics Festival. Really? Uh, so it was, yeah. So it was like, it was, it was a big deal, this book, at one point in time. Interesting. Um, well, I totally so, understand why it was because I totally love the art, um, and I oh, love the, the art was good. Like I will the admit, art was the amazing. art was the art was pretty good. Yes. Um, um, so I'm when just I gonna was... cut right to the chase to it and say there was a shit ton of fucking rape. There was <laughs> yes. so, so what much I was gonna, fucking yeah. rape. In what I was gonna say was when I was looking up information about the book and I found out that it that this was a reprinting of it and a re-release of it, and I saw when it was printed originally, I was like, now this makes sense because I have to tell you that the amount of um, of sexual assault, misogyny, uh, mm -hmm. child. Uh, sex trafficking, uh, all those things put together made me like I was enjoying trying to figure out what was going on in the story. And mm -hmm. then I would get hit with that. And it would bring me completely out of the story. And I would feel so uncomfortable. Uh, mm -hmm. And also, I'm like, why is this here? Why is this necessary? And so uh, and then when I was like, Oh, 1998. Okay, that makes more sense. But then I actually um read a um a review of it and it was actually talking about how this story is actually um kind of let's see where where did i read it um, it says, uh, Carlos Trio provides, which is the writer, provides a story rich in depressing cultural associations, satirizing the worst of South American regimes in the 1940s. Corruption is endemic. The victimized poor surplus to official requirement as anything other than the cheapest possible labor, an appalling attitude to sex with underage girls and rebellion just a drink away. So when I read that and I kind of framed it as that, I was like, okay, I, hmm. I understand it better, but I still didn't like it and it still was offensive. <laughs> I think in this time, if this book was published now, it would face so much lashback. Yes, hundred percent. I'm honestly would. surprised and shocked that it got reprinted in 2020. I think because it was like it was a big deal during its time, and uh, Titan Comics itself is a small, kind of a small publishing company, uh, and above all else, they I think I believe they are an international publishing company. Mm -hmm. uh, so they they from what I've seen they mostly do stuff from the UK, okay. um, mm -hmm. but uh, this one was is from Argentina is from Argentina, uh, so 
uh, I'm not surprised that it got repainted. A lot of stuff gets repainted, especially if it used to be award-winning and stuff like that. Um, um, But it just... Like, it it was enjoyable in the moment. I do like noir. And I can kind of see, like, the satirizing of it. But it was just so... I, it was just so many stereotypes of Latin America all fit into like one book that yeah. I was just all like, these are still problems that Latin America faces today with like, uh, with, uh, por- with being portrayed as like, mm-hmm. it, like there was a joke uh, made during the, um, well, well, the fires are still ongoing, but there's a joke currently right now of, basically Hollywood uh, depicting Latin American countries or like third world countries in sepia tones and stuff like that. Um, um, And people were joking about how California looked like it was being portrayed by Hollywood uh, as a destitute Latin American country. And it made Mm -hmm. me laugh, but at the same time, it was just like, this is the, this is, this is truly how a lot of people view Latin America. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I, Maybe at the time when it was published, it was like the the satire could be seen easily or it could have been or it even could have been like uh, seen as kind of like, oh, these are the problems this country is facing right now kind of thing. But right now it just feels reading it. It just feels so offensive. Yes. Mm-hmm. It wow. definitely did. And I got I got. I got frustrated. Okay, yes, the the child rape and sex trafficking was super like uh like took me out of it. But even just the small little like like the way that the men spoke to the women and the way that uh I mean the whole the whole premise of the story is that this woman is being kept against her will as a sex slave basically. Mm-hmm. Uh at while her her um, virginity is is being touted as her biggest like uh, like saving grace or whatever. So I uh, just a, a a whole lot of misogynistic stuff that I kept really being thrown in my face as I'm like trying to. I'm I'm trying to enjoy the book and I'm trying to like get through it and it just it was like a constant. So Sarah, mm. sorry I cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. No, those are very valid points. For me, the way I read it is like watching a movie from like the 1950s. Like como la la época de oro del cinema mexicano sort of, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, women were still damsels in distress and the charros were, uh, the, the hardworking farmhand charro is the, you know, the, the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's how I read it. I read it like that. Um, I read it as a cautionary tale, sort of. Uh, <laughs> it sort of, it, it felt to me like, it felt to me like, like, like these older people 
were sitting around telling the story about this guy who now is a drunk at the in in the darkest corner of yeah. the bar you know <laughs> yeah so and, and and that's actually what i liked about this book was those times where uh, there was a narration from yes um, i was going to say you're touching upon uh, a technique that the writer was using that i actually also enjoyed that you're kind mm -hmm. of reading along and then um people in the story are kind of turned to you and like break the break the what wall is it the third fourth wall? wall fourth, fourth wall. wall fourth, fourth wall, wall. <laughs> uh, and kind of talk to you about you know what's going on and explaining to you what's happening i thought that was actually super oh, creative and i really enjoyed I it a lot i love that that was yes. really good and how they seem to interact with the, the reader, reader. yeah mm -hmm. so they're telling you a story and as they're giving you information about what happened and you're so you're getting background if, info but you're also being spoken to by the characters in a mm -hmm. manner of speaking right um, um and you're given context and there's there's a lot of dramatic irony in this book which i really appreciated as well there's a lot of techniques in this book that i really like i'm not saying that i completely hated it it's just that the aspects of you know the rape the child uh sex trafficking the rape even the some of the racism uh because a lot of i couldn't help but notice that a lot of the uh black characters were drawn in an almost sambo-esque yes. manner yes. yeah and then like it, it it made me uncomfortable yeah and um, um but then of course how that character itself is depicted in latin america still is a problem to this day uh that you can see in a lot of uh in a lot of media and a lot of um, uh, figures that are popular in Latin America. Uh, and I'm speaking of Latin America in like a very broad context term uh, because some of these things are reflected throughout all of our Latin America, but Argentina itself has its own issues uh, because not only with the fact that in the big hoax, our main character, Melinda, is white. Yeah. She's, a, she, she's white, as gringa, as huera. Yeah. Uh, and how she is portrayed as this virgin entity as well. And I just, as I was reading that, I was, that's, I, I actually did like how the artist, the artist and the writer portrayed this. And I don't think it's something that a lot of people could see, uh, or pick up on, but it's the fact that she was pro prostrated as this virgin figure, but she wasn't, she was, she was right. a whore. Or like she was be she's being used she was um she was a sex slave and she was like and she was depicted as still as a whore and that or that was implied or outright said yeah. um, um but the situation is that she was not, she was there against her will but the use of her white uh feminine uh figure was used to control the populace and how mm -hmm. that is still used today even in Latin America how colorism is still very strong in latin america oh absolutely Mo most definitely and like After i that said speech, i want to sing don't cry for me argentina <laughs> <laughs> but like i said uh reading this story i read it like i was watching a movie from 1950s so mm -hmm. i i was not well actually yeah it affected me to know that she was a sex slave and i felt that was horrible um and I just felt like she was trapped in a way, and I actually got angry that she hooked up with the uh, the detective. 
I got angry. Oh, that's, yeah, that's classic noir. You know that was going to happen from the beginning, right? Yeah. No, oh, that's, just, to him for help, that's just classic noir. <laughs> no, yeah. but, I mean, it the, but the way that it would develop within the story, I'm just like, this, is this all she has to offer as her body? Like, there is there no brain behind her? Like, it just, that upset me because here she is uh, vouching for his half-brother that she's supposedly in love with and then hooks up with the brother. And it just like, it made me angry because I'm just like, is this your way of paying him back or are you really in love with him? I don't know. Like that, that made me angry. But, be both. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, like, like I said, this is a, a story that I read. Like if, for instance, if my grandmother was like, you know, making food and, and talking to us about the story and then La Tia Vino and then she's telling those, those stuff she heard on the story. Like, <laughs> like, like, and they're very like in the past that this happened and this is a story that we heard. And, you know, that's how it felt to me. Like, yeah. you know, or, or even like a Pedro Infante, like black and white movie, like, you know, Pepe el Toro or whatever, like the damsel and, you know, the guy hard on his luck, but he because he's the actual hero you know, um, but what I enjoyed the most was the art and the, narr- uh, the, 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 the people that broke the fourth wall. Those mm-hmm. were like, those were like my highlights from this. Yeah. Whole- yeah, I agree. And it actually got me thinking noir is definitely, and crime noir is definitely something that, you know, still exists today, but it got me thinking, um, how, and if though that, that genre is being created now in 2020 with all of you know the the social um uh justice i guess uh, for lack of a better word um things that are you know going on and it's a different time and so how is there a movie or tv show or whatever that exists with that genre and how do they do it now where it's not misogynistic and we don't see all of these horrible negative stereotypes i i would be interested actually in seeing that it would it would take some creativity so um I still keep up with NARP because, like I said, I'm actually very interested in it. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, it's very hard to find good noir, or yeah. at least noir that, like, you know, appeals to me. Because a lot of it is still pretty, like, sexist or mm-hmm. misogynistic or racist uh, or all of the combined, all of the above. Um, yeah. um, it's very hard to find good some. As is, the LA Times actually has um, uh, book reviews. And one of their favorite ones is recommending uh, and critiquing uh, noir novels. And so oh, they nice. have a specific section. So if you want some good recommendations, they actually have some pretty good ones. Oh, There's cool. only been like one or two where I was like, oh, I don't know about this one. But uh-huh. they do have some good recommendations. Um, um, as is, noir is is an old or is an old school genre. It's yes. uh, it's Above all, I think what a lot of people get confused with L.A. crime or, like, just crime noir in general is that um, uh, usually it's a private eye. It's a private investigator right? Uh, who is the main character. It's not usually, you know, like an active duty cop or detective. Mm-hmm. One of the, I think one of the specific requir- requirements has to be that the person is an ex-cop 
or a mm-hmm. private investigator or something along those lines. Like Sonambulo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like Sonambulo. Um, and so this this certainly fit in there. Uh, and I like the subtle the subtle critique about um, uh, police about um, uh, police corruption yeah. in the book as well. Yeah. So it hit along again. You can see the set uh, now that I'm thinking about it, and that you explained it, Kristen. I can see the satire in that as well from everything mm-hmm. and from kind of the over exaggeration of everything, and how at the time that could have been that was genius. That was like um, uh, that was like almost that was like pretty good and how the scenes were done how the narration was done was incredible as well but there's just a lot of stuff that bugged me maybe today because i whatever i'm a snowflake or what whatever (laughs) um uh, but it just it generally bothered me one as a woman but two also as somebody who uh who's lgbtq who's who's latina and still facing still trying to like beat people down like no this isn't how a lot of america is um um, but it's just uh there was just a lot there's a lot so i'm very conflicted about this book because from a narrative standpoint and everything i'm just i'm like i'm like this is old school noir and it's pretty cool but at the same time, just so like I literally all of this other stuff is just God damn, did you really need to add this? Yeah. Or like uh, or yeah. just like make a reference to it. Mm-hmm. There was just so much. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I mean even some things now when we Eddie and I are rewatching them on TV or I have poor cable. Uh so <laughs> which is to say that I don't have cable and I just watch TV through the antenna. But there are um channels like antenna tv and i don't know what other one that's very similar but they show super like uh old tv shows and movies and when i say super old like from when i grew up in the 70s and 80s and i rewatch them sometimes and i cringe and i'm like oh my god that would not fly right you know these days and so um that's how i was trying to um look at this when i read it but it was just like so in your face but um all the things that you both said that you enjoyed i uh, also enjoyed and i think that there's something to be said for the whole entire reason why this podcast exists is because we do look at things from our own unique perspectives we're women you know and we all have our individual experiences and jen looks at it through you know a a queer eye queer eye for the comic (laughs) 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 um and i think that that's why people also like to listen to us because we do have those perspectives and we share those viewpoints that are not shared um generally by the the common um stereotypical comic reader so um mm-hmm. i i generally enjoy that we do see things like um like what we read through different lenses mm-hmm. most definitely i completely agree um are we ready to actually rate the book sure oh uh, sure. one more thing one more thing before we rate it uh one thing i really liked was 
the ending, the the actual wording and narration at the end of the book, mm-hmm. because uh, it it said something towards the effect that he paid the highest price uh, for what became the liberation of La Colonia, basically. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So that I really like, like uh, the. I really like how a cause and effect kind of like tidal wave kind of this happened, that happened, and then therefore this happened. And this is what, you know, the rebellion um, actually won over the, the, uh, the regime basically. Mm -hmm. So that, um, but there was this chain of events that happened in order for this to happen. And I really loved the end in that sense. The tragedy of it all. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I did like it too, but the the whole, like, he paid the highest price. I'm just like, I don't know. He's not dead. So I think, <laughs> I think he's a, like, he, he's a drunkard. I don't know what's better, like a drunkard or death, but I guess that's up to the reader. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's a little bit towards a nod towards the whole Latino kind of view, because it's, it almost, in that sense, that, that uh, in th- that writing in that sense was more like a telenovela esque. I don't know if you guys felt that as well. Like, oh it yeah, was that's the- true. It felt like an old Vicente Fernandez uh, movie, but rated R. Yeah, como <laughs> yeah, totally. Like las racadas. Like you know what I mean? Like yes. I mean, speaking I, of rated R, I would not recommend this book for um, young readers. Nope, um, definitely not. Uh, there is definitely a need lot, a million trigger warnings. Yes, there's a lot of triggers. There's a lot of um, forced sex. There's a lot of just nakedness around. Which honestly, I don't see people's hangups on nakedness. That's not my biggest thing. But um, it's mostly connected to rape. So <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. All right. Having said that, guys, we are ready to rate it. What say you, girls? So this is Kristen, and um, I really was vacillating back between one and two because I did like the art. I did like a lot of uh, the um, the writers' techniques. I liked the the uh, narrators that were within the story. Um, the story itself was actually very intricate, and there were a lot of you know a lot of components, and it really followed the noir uh, uh, trope. Um, but I just can't get over the other stuff. And so I'm going to go with one concha. What do you say, Jen? You see, I'm stuck on that too, because I was debating uh, between zero and one because (laughs) um, like no concha is punishment. But (laughs) like I, I was really impressed with that, with the outline. Yeah. Like it, that was like that's some good top tier shit like the mm-hmm. dramatic irony was really really good like the people talking to you and knowing what was going to happen or like speaking like when um, um the our main private eye guy um uh, what was his name Don, ronaldo donaldo Do, what was it don donoso don <laughs> <laughs> Donolfo? No, something like that. I, something I just D. said it. Now I can't remember. Oh, I'm looking at the <laughs> wrong one. Um, here we go. Donoldo Reynoso. Donoldo. Donoldo. Donaldo Reynoso. 
Donaldo. Donaldo or Donaldo? Donaldo. Donaldo. Okay. When Donaldo was going to do something stupid and you can see the other significant women in his life going, no, don't fucking do that. Yes. That was, that was good. Uh-huh. I was just, that was, that was really good. And I really liked that. And I actually liked a lot of the women in the book as well, because they were, they were interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but God damn, there was a lot of rape. <laughs> like I cannot emphasize this enough. The fucking beginning opening was yeah. a woman getting raped. Mm-hmm. And just and the um, uh, Melinda just walking by saying like, "Oh my God, this town!" I'm like, "Girl, you are you are a victim yourself." Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it's just uh, it, like yeah, like there was almost a comical amount of rape, but the storytelling was really good. The yeah. the pacing was really good. The mm-hmm. even a lot of the art minus the mambo the the sambo esque um, uh, figures was pretty good too. So I'm gonna give it a one. But and I mean, if you like noir, if you're interested in noir and how noir was depicted in other regions, this is also like a good book to read. But I definitely, yeah. definitely do not recommend it to people who uh, could be triggered by rape, by child sex trafficking, by uh severe misogyny and stuff like that um um, so it's i will i will give it i will give it a one um uh, but read it read i read it at your own um uh, oh god risk yeah read at your own risk (laughs) well for me like i said it uh it kind of reminded me of like you know, storytelling from, you know, like my grandma, my aunts and stuff like that. I love the artwork. Um, Jeez, you had some like spicy stories being told to you. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and they weren't really told to you. It's you just overheard them. You were a kid hanging around and over. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, and I like the, the dramatic romanticism of it too. And I could actually tell that it was kind of a, a Latin X, uh, Latin, um, storytelling kind of way. Um, so I'm going to give it tres conchas because I, initially when I read it, I was already prepared for 1950s feel. And if, if the, like for me, as watching a horror fan watching Friday the 13th, you know, like sex equals dead. <laughs> so like, I mean, you know, like there was a lot of nudity, I guess, in my past in movies that I watched. So um, it wasn't, it wasn't hard for me to expect that, uh, you know, rape and stuff in this story. And it's funny, that thing that bothered me was how easily it was for her to just use her body. And 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 I still don't know if she even really loved the detective. And that bothers me. Um, <laughs> that's what bothers I find that me, so right? funny forget because... about love. I mean, forget about rape. Was she in love? <laughs> yeah, could she? I mean, and that's a, and you guys bringing up the rape um, also makes me think, like, was she even capable of love? Or is this just what she did? to survive like I'm I have questions but uh but the art was amazing the storytelling was amazing um 
like I said, I super love the, the, the narration within the story characters. So I, I'm going to give it tres conchas. All right, guys, it's now time for On My Radar. And today, Kristen has something that is on her radar. So On My Radar this week uh, is a comic book that came out uh, on the, what's a 2019, 18, 17, on the 16th, September, um, this last Wednesday. And it is a new horror book um, by... um, skybound slash image and it's written by chip sadarsky and it is illustrated by ramon perez um which may sound latino but actually he's spanish and um it is a horror book whose tagline is nobody dies in the town of stillwater that's not just a promise it's a threat and i read the first issue and i actually am a big chip zadarsky fan like i was introduced to chip zadarsky as a um as a uh straighter in sex criminals and um i love him there and i love him when he um when he partners with uh with what's his name matt something or other fraction yes I, <laughs> the peanut gallery gave me the answer <laughs> fraction. um all i know is it's mr kelly sudaconic <laughs> so um uh so anyway that was my introduction and he's an amazing artist i love his little easter eggs that he um, put in there but then my introduction i didn't even know he was a writer until i read his um spider-man uh peter parker spider-man story which i can never remember if it's spectacular or peter parker spectacular spider-man there you go so and it was solely due to him and his writing that actually got me to enjoy and and actually recommend a peter parker um (laughs) comic book Spider-Man comic book because I was all about Miles Morales and if people came in asking me for Spider-Man I would be like here's your Miles Morales and they're like no I'm like no you don't want that crap which Eddie hated because he's a huge Peter Parker I mean I get it he's been around forever and blah 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 but like to me it was boring like I don't know how many Spider-Man books that I read that kept coming out starting number one number one how many times am I going to read the same stuff over and over again but Chip Zdarsky really took it and made it feel fresh to me and I loved his writing so um when I found out he was writing horror I'm all about horror and Halloween is coming up and so I read the first um issue and it was really good and uh uh, as we always say a number one should make you want to read number two and so on and so forth and i definitely am looking forward to number two and so just real quickly it's a um down on his luck uh dude who just gets fired and um interestingly the same day he gets fired gets a letter from some long last aunt that he never knew he had left him some um something he doesn't know what if it's an amount of money or a house or whatever and he has to go to this town called stillwater to pick it up so he um talks a friend of his best friend into going with him and they go to this town and of course it's super creepy and it's uh, like super um nondescript there's no street signs there's no anything and people who live there are looking at them really weird and while they're there they see this kid get pushed from a building and then 
actually get up and walk away. And that is where all the craziness ensues because they witnessed this and apparently they were not supposed to witness it. So, um, and there's actually a cliffhanger at the end of number one. And so I'm super excited to read what um, is going to happen. And I highly recommend Stillwater um, by uh Image slash Skybound, written by Chip Zdarsky and drawn by Ramon Perez. All right, guys, it's time for Juntos y Fuertes. Kristen has yet another Juntos y Fuertes for us today. What is it? So today, something interesting, because we actually have a um, little tie-in to our Juntos y Fuertes today. So um, in case you didn't know, um, Starburns Industries is the um, company that produces our podcast. Shout out to Starburns Industries and hooray for <laughs> us for being so cool. Yes. Um, <laughs> in case you also didn't know, Starburns Inter Industries is the little company that produces a little cartoon show called Rick and Morty. So they actually um, have a, a, some very successful properties that um, that they own. And um, they also, in addition to a podcast um, platform, they have a comic book platform, platform. And it's called Starburns Industries Press. And right now, their brand new... Um, property is called Rafael Garcia Henchman number one and it is a workplace action comedy about an easygoing henchman attempting to take control of his life and survive corporate super villainy so that actually sounds super funny to me um, and I um, it caught my eye because it's actually um, co-written by somebody that we met that is um, that was uh, what do you call it um, part of the Quince book. He actually, I don't remember what he um, contributed, but he contributed to um, to the uh, to the Quince book, and he um, was at our um, event at Hariho Comics, and his name is Peter Murieta, and he is best known as a Latino television comedy writer and showrunner. He's won two Emmys for his work on Wizards of Waverly Place, and he also um, is a writer and producer on um, shows like One Day at a Time and Mr. Iglesias, which um, I need to go back and finish because I love that TV show on Netflix. So um, he is co-writing it with another friend of the shop. Uh, his name is David Schrader, and he actually um, has written a book called Baby Badass, and it's published by Action Lab. And we actually have it in the shop. If you're in the Santa Monica area, you can come pick it up. But they are have co written this book and uh, Starburns Industry Press has picked it up and they have a Kickstarter um, to publish number one. So it is on uh, up active and live on Kickstarter um, right now. They have um, about two weeks to go. So um, they've already hit their goal, but they have stretch goals and some other cool things. Um, if you're interested, um, they have stickers and they have enamel pens and they even have, I don't know what Mexi Funk is, but they have a Mexi Funk print that is actually super cool. I, it's really awesome. So um, lots of cool things and um i thought it was cool that starburns industries press was um the uh, people behind it and so i wanted to talk about it today on juntos y fuertes and get it out there and um get them more support so 
go to Kickstarter and support their um, Rafael Garcia henchman number one uh, Kickstarter. That is super cool. Like, I don't know if you guys do this, but whenever I see like, you know, uh, a movie where, you know, for instance, like uh, the henchman and uh, Austin Powers, I'm like, or the stormtroopers in Star Wars, like, who are these guys? What are their lives like? <laughs> like, you know, you might die at work. You know? uh -huh. It's like, it's like, and, and I love it that they have their whole name henchmen. So like, <laughs> I, I can't wait to read this because it, it'll give you a behind the scenes story of a henchman, which <laughs> I think is freaking brilliant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, it's time for saludos. And today, ¿a quién estamos saludando, Jen? Today we are saludando a sister of our uh, program that we're part of, the Period Network, uh, called Girl Boner Radio. And it is a show that features a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Uh, health and sexuality writer August M McLaughlin? McLaughlin. Okay. August <laughs> McLaughlin explores sexual empowerment with a range of guests. Girl Boner Radio is LGBTQIA friendly and all genders are welcome. And it is inspired by August's award-winning blog, AugustMcLaughlin.com. And one cool. of those amazing guests was actually our very own Sarah. Sarah was yes. a guest on her show and you can listen into it. I'm not sure what the episode is, but maybe we can share that um, also on our page so people can hear you talk about all about your spicy sexual past <laughs> yeah actually uh, she invited us to or several of of, of the other girls on the pod uh, the period network to uh, talk about a sex story uh and so i shared one and it's hilarious <laughs> but yeah she's super nice, nice and i learned a little bit about uh stuff so, uh, yeah, check it out. She's really cool. It's it's really Okay, so listen. She also has she has a, a website. You can go to girlboner.org and it takes you to her website, um, mm -hmm. which is augustmclaughlin.com. But girlboner is much easier to remember. But the latest <laughs> Girl Boner post is titled, Butts and Vaginas, What to Keep Out. <laughs> <laughs> So this is the content you're going to get. Her podcast is awesome. Her her blogs and her posts and everything. She also has a book. So um, I am all about any medium that supports and encourages female sexual power um, and uh, agency. So definitely check it out. Mm hmm. If you're ever curious about the, uh, if anybody has ever done this in the bedroom, she probably has done an episode on it. Uh, August <laughs> herself, she's really cool. She's a lot of fun to hang out with. And she's she's a great personality. So I highly encourage uh, to check out her podcast. And you can also go to uh, periodnetwork.com and find her on there as long as well as a bunch of other podcasts that uh, um, uh, that you can listen to as well. Most definitely. All right, guys, that brings us to the end of our episode. Where can they find us, girls? As always, you can find us on Facebook at Comic Comadres and on Instagram at Comadres y Comics. You can find us on Twitter at Comic Comadres, where you can send us a DM as well. 
you could always email us directly at comadrecomics at gmail.com. And also, uh, we have a brand new YouTube where we do Las Platicas and we interview creators and artists um, on that channel. And we have, how many, four episodes up so far? Yeah, four episodes. Is it four? Cool. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, guys, don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> also, do not forget, if you get a chance, to rate and review our podcast. We will be putting something up on the Facebook page, so you can just share it through there. Uh, but please keep a lookout for it. Uh, we really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We have been your hosts. I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.